Chapters ten and eleven of the Shepherd of the Hills. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Emily Jomard. The Shepherd of the Hills by Harold Bell Wright. Chapter ten, a feat of strength and a challenge. What the club is to the city man, and the general store or post office to the citizens of the country village. The mill is to the native of the backwoods. Made to saw the little rough lumber he needs in his primitive building, or to grind his corn into the rough meal that is his staff of life, the mill does more for the settler than this. It brings together the scattered population. It is the new center, the heart of the social life, and the hub of the industrial wheel. On grinding day, the Ozark mountaineer goes to mill on horseback, his grist in a sack behind the saddle, or indeed taking place of the saddle itself. The rule is, first come, first served. So, while waiting his turn, or waiting for a neighbor who will ride in the same direction, the woodsman has time to contribute his share to the gossip of the countryside, or to take part in the discussions that are of more or less vital interest. When the talk runs slow, there are games. Pitching horseshoes, borrowed from the blacksmith shop, there is always a blacksmith shop nearby, running or jumping contests, or wrestling or shooting matches. Fall Creek Mill, owned and operated by Mr. Matthews and his son, was located on Fall Creek, in a deep, narrow valley about a mile from their home. A little old threshing engine one of the very first to take the place of the horsepower, and itself in turn already pushed to the wall by improved competitors, rolled the saw or the burr. This engine, which had been rescued by Mr. Matthews from the scrap pile of a Springfield machine shop, was accepted as evidence beyond question of the superior intelligence and genius of the Matthews family. In fact, Fall Creek Mill gave the whole Mutton Hollow neighborhood such a tone of up-to-date enterprise that folks from the Bend, or the mouth of the James, looked upon the Mutton Hollow people with no little envy and awe, not to say even jealousy. The settlers came to the Matthews Mill from far up the creek, crossing and recrossing the little stream, from Iron Spring and from Gardner, beyond Sand Ridge, following faint, twisting bridle paths through the forest, from the other side of Dewey Bald, along the old trail from the cove and from the post-office at the forks, down the wagon-road through the pinery, and from Wolf Ridge and the head of Indian Creek beyond, climbing the rough mountains. Even from the river-bottoms they came, yellow and shaking with ague, to swap tobacco and yarns, and to watch with never-failing interest the crazy old engine, as young Matt padded and coaxed and flattered her into doing his will. They began coming early that grinding day, two weeks after Mr. Howitt had been installed at the ranch. But the young engineer was ready, with a good head of steam in the old patched boiler, and the smoke was rising from the rusty stack in a long, twisting line above the motionless treetops. It was a great day for young Matt. Great because he knew that Sammy Lane would be coming to mill. He would see her and talk with her. Perhaps if he were quick enough, he might even lift her from the brown pony. It was a great day, too, because Ollie Stewart would be saying good-bye, and before tomorrow would be on his way out of the hills. 
Not that it mattered whether Ollie went or not. It was settled that Sammy was going to marry young Stuart. That was what mattered. And young Matt had given her up. And, as he had told his father in the barn that day, it was all right. But still... Still it was a great day because Ollie would be saying good-bye. It was a great day in young Matt's life, too, because on that day he would issue his challenge to the acknowledged champion of the countryside, Wash Gibbs. But young Matt did not know this until afterwards, for it all came about in a very unexpected way. The company had been discussing the new arrival in the neighborhood, and speculating as to the probable length of Mr. Howitt's stay at the ranch. And while young Matt was in the burr house with his father, they had gone over yet again the familiar incidents of the ghost story. How? But Wilson seen her as close as from here to the shop yonder. How? Joe Gardner's mule had gone plumb hog wild when he tried to ride past the old ruins near the ranch. And? How Lem Wheeler, while out hunting that roan steer of his'n, had heard a moanin' and a wailin' under the bluff. Upon young Matthews returning to his engine, the conversation had been skillfully changed to Ollie Stewart and his remarkable good fortune. From Ollie and his golden prospects, it was an easy way to Sammy Lane and her coming marriage. Buck Thompson was just concluding a glowing tribute to the girl's beauty of face and form when young Matt reached for an axe lying near the speaker. Said Buck, Preachin' Bill loud the other day, it didn't make no difference how much money the old man left Ollie. He'd be a poor sort of man anyhow. And that there's a heap better men than him right here in the hills that Sammy could a had for the askin'. "'How about that, Matt?' called a young fellow from the river. The big man's face flushed at the general laugh which followed, and he answered hotly as he swung his axe. "'You'd better ask Wash Gibbs. I hear he says he's the best man in these woods.' "'I reckon is how Wash can back his judgment there,' said Joe. "'Wash is a sure good man,' remarked Buck. "'But there's another not so mighty far away that'll pretty nigh hold him level.' He looked significantly to where young Matt was making the big chips fly. "'Huh,' grunted Joe. "'I tell you, gentlemen, that there man Gibbs is powerful. Yes, sir, he sure is. Tell you what I seed him do.' Joe pulled a twist of tobacco from his hip pocket, and settled down upon his heels, his back against a post. Wash and me was a-goin' to the settlement last fall, and just this side of the camp-house on Wilderness Road we struck a threshin' crew stuck in the mud with their engine. Had a breakdown of some kind. Something the matter with the hind wheel. And just as Wash and me drove up, the boss of the outfit was a-tellin' them to cut a big pole for a pry to lift the hind-decks, so's they could block it up and fix the wheel. Wash, he just looked at em a minute, and then he says, says he, Hold on, boys, you don't need airy pole. What do you know about an engine, you darned hillbilly? says the old man, kind of short. Don't know nothin' about an engine, you prairie hopper, says Wash. "'But I know you don't need no pole to lift that thing.' "'How'd you lift it, then?' says the other. "'Why, well, just catch holt and lift,' says Wash. "'The gang like to bust themselves laughing. "'Why, you blame fool,' says the boss. "'Do you know what that engine'll weigh?' "'Don't care a cuss what she'll weigh,' says Wash. "'She ain't planted there, is she?' 
and with that he climbs down from the wagon, and Dad burned me. If he didn't take hold of that hind ex and lift one whole side of that there engine clean off the ground, them fellers just stood round and looked at him to beat the stir. Well, says Wash, still a-keepin' his holt, slide a block under her and I'll mosey along. That boss didn't say a word till he'd got a bottle from a box on the wagon and handed it to Wash. Then he says, kind of scared like, "Where in hell are you from, Mister?" "Oh, I'm just a kid from over on Rourke," says Wash, handing the bottle to me. "You ought to see some of the men in my neighborhood." Then we went on. When the speaker had finished, there was quiet for a little. Then the young man from the river drawled, "How much did you say that there engine'd weigh, Joe?" There was a general laugh at this, which the admirer of Gibbs took good-naturedly. "Don't know what she'd weigh, but she was about the size of that one there," he answered. With one accord, everyone turned to inspect the mill engine. "Pretty good lift, Joe. Let's you and me take a pull at her, Bud," remarked Lem Wheeler. The two men lifted and strained at the wheel. Then another joined them, and amid the laughter and good-natured raillery of the crowd. The three tried in vain to lift one of the wheels, while Mr. Matthews, seeing some unusual movement, came into the shed and stood with his son, an amused witness of their efforts. "Sure, this engine ain't bigger in t'other, Joe?" asked one of the group. "Don't believe she weighs a pound more," replied the mountaineer with conviction. "I tell you, gentlemen, that man Gibbs is a wonder. He sure is." Old Matt and his son glanced quickly at each other. And the boy shook his head with a smile. This little by-play was lost on the men who were interested in the efforts of different ones in groups of three to move the wheel. When they had at last given it up, the young man from the river drawled, "You're right, sure it weren't after the boss gave you that bottle that Wash lifted her, are you, Joe? Or wasn't it on the way home from the settlement?" When the laugh at this insinuation had died out, Buck said thoughtfully. Tell you what, boys, I'd like to see young Matt try that lift. Mister Matthews, who was just starting back to the burr house, paused in the doorway. All eyes were fixed upon his son. Try her, Matt. Show us what you can do," called the men in chorus. But the young man shook his head and found something that needed his immediate attention. All that morning, at intervals, the mountaineers urged the big fellow to attempt the feat. But he always put them off with some evasive reply, or was too busy to gratify them. But after dinner, while the men were pitching horseshoes in front of the blacksmith shop, Buck Thompson approached the young engineer alone. "Look a here, Matt," he said. "Why don't you try that lift? Dern me if I don't believe you'd fetch her." The young giant looked around. "I know I can, Buck. I lifted her yesterday while Dad fixed the blockin'." I always do it that way. Buck looked at him in amazement. Well, why in thunder don't you show the boys then? He burst forth at last. Cause if I do, Wash Gibbs'll hear of it, sure, and I'll have to fight him to settle which is the best man. Good Lord! Ejaculated Buck with a groan. If you're afraid of Wash Gibbs, it's the first thing I ever knowed you to be scared of. Young Matt looked his friend steadily in the eyes as he replied, "I ain't afraid of Wash Gibbs. I'm afraid of myself." Mister Howitt says, 
No man needn't be afraid of nobody but himself. I've been a-thinkin' lately, Buck, and I see some things that I never see before. I figure it that if I fight Wash Gibbs, or anybody else, just to see which is the best man, I ain't no better than he is. I reckon I'll have to whip him some day all right, and I ain't a-carin' much how soon it comes, but I ain't a-goin' to hurt nobody for nothin', just because I can. Buck made no reply to this. Such sentiment was a little too much for his primitive notions. He went back to the men by the blacksmith shop. It was not long, however, until the players left their game, to gather once more about the engine. Lem Wheeler approached young Matt with a serious air. "'Look a-here,' he said. "'We all want to see you try that lift.' "'I ain't got no time for foolin,' replied the young man. "'Dad's just pushin' to get done before dark.' "'Shucks,' retorted the other. "'It won't take a minute to try. "'Just catch hold and show us what you can do.' "'What are you all so keen about my liftin' for, anyhow?' demanded the big fellow suspiciously. "'I ain't never set up as the strong man of this country.' "'Well, you see, it's this way. Buck Dunn bet me his mule-coat agin mine that you could lift her, and we want you to settle the bet,' exclaimed Lem. Young Matthews shot a glance at the mountaineer who grinned joyously. "'Yep,' said Buck. "'That's how it is. I'm a-backin' you.' "'Don't want you to hurt yourself for me, but I sure do need that colt o' limbs. "'It's a dead match for mine.' The giant looked at his friend a moment in silence, then burst into a laugh of appreciation at Buck's hint. "'Seein' as how you're backin' me, Buck, I'll have to get you that mule if I can.' He shut off steam, and as the engine came to a stop, stooped and with apparent ease lifted the rear wheel a full four inches from the ground. Loud exclamations of admiration came from the little group of men in the shed. Lem turned with a long face. "'Them colts'll make a fine team, Buck,' he said. "'You bet. Come over and help me break em, replied Buck, with another grin of delight. "'Wait till Wash Gibbs hears bout this, and he'll sure be for breaking young Matt,' put in another. "'Better get your fightin' clothes on, Matt. Wash'll never rest easy until you've done showed him.' These and similar remarks revealed the general view of the situation. While the men were discussing the matter, a thin, high-pitched voice from the edge of the crowd broke in. "'That there's a good lift, all right, but it ain't nothing to what I seed when I was to the circus in the city.' Young Matt, who had started the engine again, turned quickly. Ollie Stewart was sitting on a horse nearby and at his side on the brown pony was Miss Sammy Lane. They had evidently ridden up just in time to witness the exhibition of the giant's strength. Chapter 11 Ollie Stewart's Goodbye Beside the splendidly developed young woman, Ollie Stewart appeared but a weakling. His shoulders were too narrow, and he stooped. His limbs were thin, his hair black and straight and his eyes dull. As young Matt stepped forward, Ollie dismounted quickly, but the big fellow was first at the brown pony's side. Sammy's eyes shone with admiration, and as the strong man felt their light, he was not at all sorry that he had won the mule colt for Buck. 
No, she said, declining his offered assistance. She did not wish to get down. They were going to the post office and would call for the meal on their way home. Young Matt lifted the sack of corn from Brownie's back and carried it into the shed. When he returned to the group, Ollie was saying in his thin voice, In the circus I seen in the city, there was a feller that lifted a man, big as Jed here, clean above his head with one hand. Buck turned to his big friend. His look was met by a grim smile that just touched the corners of the lad's mouth, and there was a gleam in the blue eyes that betrayed the spirit within. The lean mountaineer again turned to the company, while the boy glanced at Sammy. The girl was watching him and had caught the silent exchange between the two friends. "'Shucks,' said Buck. "'Matt could do that easy. Try it, Matt. Try Jed here. Try it once,' called the chorus. This time the big fellow needed no urging. With Sammy looking on, he could not resist the opportunity which Ollie himself had presented. Without a word, but with a quick tightening of the lips, he stepped forward and caught Jed by the belt with his right hand. And then, before anyone could guess his purpose, he reached out with his other hand and grasped Ollie himself in the same manner. There was a short step forward, a quick upward swing, and the giant held a man in each hand, at full arm's length above his head. Amid the shouts of the crowd, still holding the men, he walked deliberately to the blacksmith shop and back, then lowering them easily to their feet, turned to his engine. Ollie and Sammy rode away together, up the green arched road, and the little company in the mill-shed stood watching them. As the finely formed young woman and her inferior escort passed from sight, a tall mountaineer from the other side of Compton Ridge remarked, I done heard preachin' Bill say t'other day that mighty nigh all this here gee-hawin', balkin', and kickin' amongst the married folks comes cause the teams ain't matched up right. Bill, he loud God Almighty'd fixed it somehow, so the birds and varmints don't make no mistake, but left it plumb easy for men and women to make dern fools of theirselves. Everybody grinned in appreciation, and another spoke up. According to that, I'll bet four bits if them two yonder ever do get into double harness, there'll be pieces of the outfit strung from the parsons clean to the burying ground. When the laughter had subsided, Buck turned to see young Matt standing just outside the shed, ostensibly doing something with the belt that led to the burr, but in reality looking up the creek. La! ejaculated Buck under his breath. What a team they'd make! Who? said Lem, who was standing nearby. "'Them mule colts,' returned Buck with a grin. "'They sure will, Buck. There ain't two better in the country. They're a dead match. I'll come over and help you break em when they're big enough.' And then he wondered why Buck swore with such evident delight. One by one the natives received their meal, and singly, or in groups of two or three, were swallowed up by the great forest. Already the little valley was in the shadow of the mountain, though the sun still shone brightly on the treetops higher up, when Ollie and Sammy returned from the forks. Mr. Matthews had climbed the hill when the last grist was ground, leaving his son to cool down the engine and put things right about the mill. "'Come on, Matt,' said Ollie, as the big fellow brought out the meal. "'It's time you was a-goin' home.' The young giant hung back, saying, "'You folks better go on ahead.' I'll get home all right. Didn't think nothing would get you, laughed Ollie. 
Come on. You might as well go along with us. The other muttered something about being in the way, and started back into the shed. Hurry up, called Sammy. We're waitin'. After this there was nothing else for the young man to do but join them. And the three were soon making their way up the steep mountain road together. For a time they talked of commonplace things. Then young Matt opened the subject that was on all their hearts. I reckon, Ollie, this is the last time that you'll ever be a climb in this old road. As he spoke, he was really thinking of the time to come when Sammy would climb the road for the last time. Yes, returned Stuart. I go tomorrow for sunup. The other continued. It'll sure be fine for you to live in the city and get your schoolin' and all that. Us folks here in the woods don't know nothin'. We ain't got no chance to learn. You'll be forgettin' us all mighty quick, I reckon, once you get to livin' with your rich kin. Deed I won't, returned Ollie warmly. Sammy and me was a-talkin' bout that this evenin'. We aim to always come back to Mutton Holler once a year, and be just like other folks, don't we, Sammy? The brown pony, stepping on a loose stone, stumbled toward the man walking by his side, and the big fellow put out his hand quickly to the little horse's neck. For an instant the girl's hand rested on the giant's shoulder, and her face was close to his. Then Brownie recovered his footing, and young Matt drew farther away. Ollie continued, "'We aim to have you come to the city after a while. I'm going to get Uncle Dan to give you a job in the shops.' and you can get out of these hills and be somebody like Wien's. The tone was unmistakably patronizing. The big mountaineer lifted his head proudly and turned toward the speaker. But before he could reply, Sammy broke in eagerly. La, but that would sure be fine, wouldn't it, Matt? I know you'd do something big if you only had the chance. I just know you would. You're so... so kind of big every way, she laughed. It's a plum shame for you to be buried alive in these hills. There was nothing said after this until coming to the top of the ridge they stopped. From here Ollie and Sammy would take the old trail to the girl's home. Then, with his eyes on the vast sweep of forest-clad hills and valleys, over which the blue haze was fast changing to purple in the level rays of the sun, young Matt spoke. I don't guess you'd better figure on that. Some folks are made to live in the city, and some ain't. I reckon I was built to live in these hills. I don't somehow feel like I could get along without them. And besides, I'd always be knocking against something there. He laughed grimly and stretched out his huge arms. I've got to have room. Then there's the folks yonder. He turned his face toward the log house, just showing through the trees. You know how it is, me being the only one left, and Dad getting old. No, I don't guess you'd need to count on me being more than I am. Then suddenly he wheeled about and looked from one face to the other, and there was a faint hint of defiance in his voice as he finished. I got an idea, too, that the backwoods needs men same as the cities. I don't see how there ever could be a city, even, if it wasn't for the men what cleared the brush. Somebody's got to lick Wash Gibbs some day, or there just naturally won't be no decent livin' in the neighborhood ever. He held up his big hand to the man on the horse. Good-bye, and good luck to you, Ollie. 
the horses turned down the old trail, and with their riders passed from sight. That night Sammy Lane said farewell to her lover, and with many promises for the future, Ollie rode away to his cabin home, to leave the next morning for that world that lies so far, so far away from the world of young Matt and his friends, the world that is so easy to get into after all, and so impossible to get out of ever. End of chapters 10 and 11